So we're going to have our readings, our next parables in the series, and Rafaro is going to come and read Matthew 13 and Luke 16 to us. So let's... A reading from Matthew 13 and Luke 16, verses 1 to 15. The kingdom of heaven is like, tre- like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. The parable of the shrewd manager. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? The master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, Who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. 
What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. This is the word of the Lord. Father God, we just look to you now. We look to your word. Thank you so much for your words to us. Thank you so much for the parables, some of the greatest stories ever told. Lord, help us to discern your truth and your will through these stories. Stories told 2,000 years ago. Help us to discern what you are saying to us this morning. And as I speak, if anything is of you, Lord, I pray that we would remember it. And if anything is not of you, I pray we would forget it instantly. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, we are continuing our series, our summer series, looking at the parables. Uh, And as I said, last week, Chris was here doing Kingdom Economy, uh, or rather Kingdom Economy Part 1, because today is Kingdom Economy Part 2. Ooh. No. (laughs) Uh, It was a real, uh, I was over doing the uh, family's worship last week, so I caught up on Chris's sermon through the website, through our podcast, uh, and it was a joy to listen to it. It was a challenge to hear his words uh, as well, but it was definitely an encouragement. Uh, But before we do anything else, I just want to wonder, why do we need a part two? Why do we need a kingdom economy part two? Because Chris's talk was fantastic. Well, for a start, money is really, really important. Wealth and our attitudes to wealth and our finances is really, really important. You know, on the positive hand, uh, you know, money represents a fantastic opportunity, if not the best opportunity, certainly the easiest opportunity to serve the people who are most in need in this world. You know, it gives us opportunities to care for people with our giving, perhaps giving to charities, giving to to perhaps the mission of the church, or giving directly to those we know who are in need. But more negatively, uh, we have to think about money because, of course, we know that money has the power to corrupt, and that was something Chris spoke about a a lot last week. You know, we know that money, sex, and power, they're the big three when it comes to corruption, uh, and, and actually, we have to be talking about these things in church. Uh, otherwise, we're at risk of letting them run riot. Also, just I want to say now, you know, uh, we're not doing these, these two talks in any kind of effort to raise money for the church. I know I speak to some people in churches, and they kind of they get tired of being always asked for money from the church. Uh, and if that's you, I understand it. I understand that feeling. Uh, I know that when I speak to people who are perhaps outside the church or sceptical of religion, they're very wary that we're always asking for money and it's just a money-spinning business. Now, of course, I do believe that giving towards the church is important uh, and and is a part of our discipleship. But that's not why we're talking about this this summer. That's not, you know, that's not the key driver for this. Actually, the key driver and the final reason why we're doing a part two is because Jesus talked about money a lot. <laughs> we're doing a series of nine weeks looking at the parables. Uh, and 11 of Jesus' 39 parables talk directly about money. 
But that, that's not the only time he spoke about wealth, uh, and it's not the only time the Bible speaks about wealth. I have here uh, the Poverty and Justice Bible, uh, and this is just a, a Bible that um, Kathy and I managed to pick up one time, uh, and it's, it's basically the Bible, uh, but through it, highlighted at every single time the Bible talks about wealth. I've just opened to a random page there, I promise. Hopefully, uh, sorry for the people at home, you probably can't see this, but hopefully you can see there's different colours uh, on the pages it's constantly highlighted in different colors because the Bible is full of talking about poverty, in particular about justice, injustice. And when we remember that, you know, if we were to take the poverty and the justice and the wealth discussions out of the Bible, we'd have a Bible full of holes and we wouldn't be doing Christianity the service that it deserves. So uh, the other thing I was thinking during this week was you know, if we're going to do a part two, I don't want to just repeat what Chris said and say the same things again. But as I was chatting with Kathy, because uh, I was really struggling with this, how do I make it new and different and exciting? And Kathy said, well, <laughs> if you end up saying the same things or overlapping, perhaps it's because God wants us to pay attention to something and wants us to listen to that. So if I do repeat some things, I, I apologize. But last week, Chris was looking at the parable of the rich fool and the parable of the camel and the eye of the needle. And he was talking about our attitudes to wealth, our heart position to wealth. And as I said in our confession, he invited us each to think about where our hearts are positioned when it comes to wealth. And similarly, our short reading that we had from Matthew 13, uh, 44, is all about our heart position, our attitude towards God and his kingdom. Because Jesus said this, he said, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. Now, I don't know about anyone else, but hands up, have you ever read that, that little parable? and thought that the man was a bit underhand in his dealings, <laughs> a bit kind of tricksy. <laughs> I, that's something I thought, but, but as I was thinking about it, perhaps I'm being a bit oversensitive there. Actually, that's not the main point of this message. The main thing in this is the last verse. Uh, he gave everything he had, he sold everything he had, to, he put it all on the line to risk it, to buy this field. Because he knew this field, this treasure, was worth it. He risked everything. He sold everything he had. And if you listen to nothing else that I say this morning, listen to this. There is nothing that we have, nothing we could ever have or own that compares to the value of God's kingdom. Jesus offers us life in all its fullness. Something we talk about again and again. But if we flip that on its head... There is no other version of life that could be more full. There's no other version of life that could be more wonderful than life in the eternal kingdom of heaven. And as such, we are called to give everything we have, sell ourselves out for the kingdom of God and his values. Live for the kingdom above all else, loving God with all our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. Our strength and loving our neighbours as ourselves. And yes, those things may well include our finances as well. But how does it work in practice? 
This is the kind of question I've been wrestling. You know, how does it work in practice? In John 17, Jesus prays for his disciples, a prayer that we can take for ourselves as well. And he says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. You see, we are in the world as Christians, but we are not of it. We are in the world, but not of it. There is a tension that we live in. We are citizens of God's kingdom, God's eternal kingdom. We are born again and called to live by his kingdom values, but yet we live in a fallen world. We still are in the world that is fallen, sinful, and has a completely different set of values. So there's a tension. There's a tension between this existence. We are in the world, but yet not of the world. And this tension, it kind of infects every part of Christian life until Jesus comes again. So how do we live in this tension when it comes to our wealth and our finances? How do we live by the kingdom economy? I don't know about you, because I know in my head and my heart that I want to follow Jesus, I want to follow and do the right things with my wealth and my finances. But then again, there's, there's pressures of the world around us. There's systems in the world around us. More than that, I have my own sinful desire. I want to live a comfortable life. <laughs> I want to choose, sometimes choose the easy option rather than always living the way that God might be calling me to. I really loved how last week Chris was talking about this, how this dilemma he has with uh, his retirement. He's thinking about retirement in five to ten years' time, and he's got to make financial decisions. He's got to make thing, you know, decisions about pensions and the like. Uh, and he's, it's sometimes really hard to know what is God's will for each decision I have to make. Likewise, Kathy and I, you know, as I said, we, we try and follow God uh, and try and live by His kingdom values, uh, but it's not always easy. You know, before I was ordained, I was a student worker in a church, and I earned uh, quite a small amount of money, really, and Kathy worked as a, for a charity, uh, so we never really had the kind of finances to kind of bless others as we would like to. Um, but we did always have a spare room, uh, and we've always tried to offer hospitality to people. Uh, and let people come and live with us. But again, that's not always easy because you, then you're sharing your space and every day you have to make a choice. Oh, no, okay, I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to live for his kingdom. Uh, and every day it maybe is a bit of a struggle, but it's worth it. But the good news is this. Jesus knew about this tension. He knew about the struggle we would have with our finances. He knew the sinful world we lived in. Of course he did. And so I think our parable uh, from Luke 16, along with the parables we've had for the last few weeks, really speak into this tension. As looking at Luke 16, different Bible translations give it a different name. So, the, um, Peter, you've got a Bible in front of you. What, what name does it, what title does your translation give this? Parable of the Shrewd Manager. So the shrewd manager. Some, some translations might say dishonest manager. Other translations might say uh, the, uh, what was the other version I heard? Uh, crooked, that was it. <laughs> crooked manager. So that kind of thing. But I think shrewd is probably the best term. I think, you're, I think whoever wrote that or translated that Bible has done well. I think shrewd manager is the right term because shrewd has a little bit of grayness in it. And it's hard to tell if Jesus is condemning this person or, or, or uh, commending him for his actions. 
because it's quite a hard parable to understand, Luke 16. Uh, and reading in preparation, I, was, I, I found quite a lot of disagreement among Bible scholars uh, as to what the exact understanding should be. But I think there are some key things that we need to take note of as we try to discern what God is saying to us through it. All the people, the first thing is this, all the people in this parable are extremely wealthy. So at the beginning of the story, you've got this manager, this uh, master, owns lots of fields, lots of land, and he has a manager working for him. But his manager has been, not been good in, deal, in his dealings. So the manager is told, you know, you're not going to work for me anymore. So the manager thinks, right, what shall I do now? I'll go to the debtors, people who owe rent to the, uh, to the master, and I will write off some of their debts. I'll decrease their debts a little bit. But the thing to pay attention to is that all of the people are very, very wealthy in this story. The way the world works has worked very, very well for them. See, the debts that they owe, the rent that they owe to their master, is thought to represent the produce of about like 150 olive trees uh, or about 100 acres of land. And that's just the proportion of their land uh, that they owe as rent. That's just the small proportion of their wealth. There is vast amounts of wealth being talked about in this story. The second thing to pay attention to is that there's... Behind this story, um, you know, money isn't the be-all and end-all in Jesus' world as it is today. Wealth is kind of shown in other ways. And the, the idea of reciprocity lies behind this passage. See, generous deeds would be expected to be repaid by generosity down the future. There would be a reciprocity going on. So the, the manager here is, is de- he's decreasing the debts in order to store up credit for himself and friendship for himself. But verse 9 is the really confusing part. Because <laughs> I think about this manager, he's being a bit deceitful, <laughs> and he's doing things, and I'm expecting Jesus to condemn him. But it says this, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. <laughs> so Jesus, what's going on here? You know, in isolation, it looks like Jesus is saying, do you know what, do whatever you can, wheel and deal, work around the world's systems and make friends for yourself. That's a good idea. But this parable does not come in isolation. It is not <laughs> just, this is not the only teaching we have of Jesus. There are lots of other teachings. And the crucial element of context here is that the whole chapter of Luke 16 and the readings around it as well, they are all about money and those who love it. See, so this odd story is followed by the parable about serving two masters, where Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. Then our reading finishes, uh, Rafaro finished reading with this kind of confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees who were described as loving money. You know, and, then, and then afterwards, Luke 16 finishes with the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, uh, which maybe you can read about later. But the focus of this whole chapter, therefore, is about, and the, par- the whole focus of the parable of the shrewd manager is the love of money and what it will cause people to do. And as we read all of these teachings of Jesus, all of these parables, all of these other times where 
uh, encounters wealth and talks about it. We're left with a choice. When we come to different difficult decisions and we think about what we can, how we can use our finances, our gifts, our wits, our time and our energy, we can either use it justly or unjustly. We can use them unjustly now and we will have friends in this age but nothing when it really matters. Or we can use worldly wealth now. We can use the things we have now, but with God's rules, with God's heart dictating our decisions, caring for the last, the least, and the lost, by caring for the outcast, those in need. Then, when this age runs out, then we will have an eternal dwelling ready for us. That's his words. So we live in this tension. We do live in this tension. You know, the world forces us to make financial decisions, positively or negatively, that may affect others around us. Sometimes we work with imperfectly flawed systems. And we we need to be a bit wise. We need to be shrewd, perhaps. But the main thing is our hearts must remain in the right place. Our hearts and our motivation has to be God's motivation. Let God's will and not our earthly wallets motivate our decisions. And if and when we make decisions, uh, as well as our hearts being in the right place, we can remember that God is with us as we make those decisions. We live in a community here of Christians. We have brothers and sisters who can help us Make the right decision when they come up. Talk to people. Pray together. If you've got an interesting or tough uh, financial decision and you don't sure what God's will is, you know, pray with others around it. Help us. They, uh, we can discern together what God's will is, what His kingdom choices might be. And yes, it might not be easy. Often. God's kingdom choices may may mean that we don't have quite as comfortable a life as we could otherwise do. This season, this life might not be quite as comfortable or as easy, but it is so worth it. It is so worth it. There is nothing we have, nothing we could own that is of anywhere near the equal value to God's kingdom, God's eternal, wonderful kingdom. Amen? Amen. Should we pray together? Father, thank you so much for your kingdom. Thank you so much that as we place our faith in you, we can know citizenship in your kingdom. A place and a space that is wonderful, that is life in all its fullness. Where Paul writes also that there is freedom, true freedom, where the Spirit of God resides. And we get to be in that kingdom now and always. Lord Jesus, thank you that you you spoke into the realness of life spoken to real situations and Lord we pray for any of us who are having to make decisions financial based decisions at the moment whether to invest in this or that where to put pensions whether we should give to this cause or that cause Lord help us to know your will 
Help us to make the right choices for your kingdom purposes. We ask all of this in the mighty and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.